what our goal is for today is that we are able to do conflict with compassion. And we can do conflict with compassion. We, we don't do conflict very well in our culture. We're passive-aggressive, or we just uh, run from it, we hide from it, we talk about it and, uh, you know, behind each other's back. We, we, we handle conflict with compassion. This series, Uncivil War, is, is, is actually about uncivil war, like redoing the civil war that I feel like we're in. Not with weapons, but with, uh, with our words and with our ideas. In Isaiah chapter 9, we see Isaiah write 300 years before Christ was even on this earth, you guys are devouring one another. And boy, that talks, that, that's our culture right now. Is that we're devouring one another. So how do we undo that? And uh, I encourage you to go back in time and go back to, uh, you can download our app at, at iTunes Store or, or at Google Play uh, and, and, and catch up on all the podcasts in this series because this works everywhere. This isn't just a church thing, how we interact with Being able to interact with each other in such a way that other people look at us, that He gives us the way to live in such a way that people who are living in us and go, what do you guys do to figure this thing out? And all we go is, well, he gives us abundant life and he talks about abundant life and what I call infinity life. Right? Don't elbow him right now. But conflict is figuring out. Wait, most of this series, we've kind of been talking in like ideal terms and such. And what happens when things aren't quite the ideal? That's what we're going to be talking about today. I'm going to forget about technology and go with, go with Lydia. So, thank you, Dave. Thank you. So, Matthew chapter 18 is where we're going to be. These are verses that, a chapter that's considered uh, kind of uh, a church discipline. I hate that phrase. Lay, lay my cards out on the table. I hate that phrase. The phrase is never found in the Bible. And when we hear church discipline, we, we think of uh, witch hunts and inquisitions and things like that, everything opposite of compassion. I'm going to try and work through this so that we can see how Jesus is actually very compassionate in this conflict. So Matthew asks, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? <clears throat> Talk about a conflict-laden question. When, when, when somebody is asking, how do you become the greatest, that has conflict written all over it. We have four boys. And so anytime that we start having greatest discussions, there's a conflict about ready to occur. Jesus answers them in verse 2. Jesus called a little child and put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Next one. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So the first uncivil war attitude is we approach conflict with a humble attitude to be okay. Right? If we approach conflict and we've humbled ourselves, that conflict seems to go usually smoother. It's not going to end well. It's not going to end well. 
uh, I, most of you know I'm a soccer referee, and we're not talking about kids. We're talking about kids. And like, we got two teams that, you know, have no semblance of humility to them happening. When we humble ourselves, Jesus continues. Verse 5. And anyone who... It's nice, right? It's sweet. It's good. It's like, yeah, right? Now let's remember. He is, but he's not only speaking of physical little children. Who's the metaphor? Who's, who are the children in this passage? Anybody that turns from their sins and humbles themselves, right? These are children in the kingdom of God. And so when we see children here, don't think little, sweet little child necessarily. Think, he's metaphorically speaking about anybody who has trusted him as their savior. Keep going. But if you cause one of these little ones who trusted me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. We get pictures drawn of lamb carrying Jesus, but never the picture is drawn of the millstone tying around the neck Jesus, right? Hang that one up in church. This is like hitman mafia Jesus here. Jesus is the master communicator. He's trying to get his people as attention. Jesus actually say, drown somebody? And look, it's really... Without a show of hands, I would hate for anybody to incriminate themselves this morning. Who has tempted somebody else that is a believer to sin? I know I have. Congratulations, Jesus wants a millstone tied around all of our necks. He's setting something up here. Setting something up here. Keep going to verse 7. What sorrow awaits the world because it who does the tempting? Look, we, we don't have to try to be tempted, right? Like, but what sorrow awaits the person that actually goes out of their way to tempt somebody? Think my sin only affects me. That's nobody else, and my sin doesn't tempt anybody else, and my sin doesn't drag anybody down, and my sin doesn't cause injustice in somebody else's life. We're fooling ourselves. And that's a, that's a civil war attitude. That is a conflict-causing attitude because we will just uh, uh, ramrod through life pushing over anybody that gets in our way and not worry about the consequences. Yes, God's heart is broken over us disobeying Him and, 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 and sinning. Do you know Why? There is no sin that doesn't affect somebody else. Sin at its heart causes injustice. Every single one of them. Ever lie to somebody? It's injustice, right? You feel it when you've been lied to. But you don't feel it when you lie to somebody else. Now do we? Ever steal something from somebody? Injustice. Jesus is setting us up to feel the weight, pun intended. Oh, hmm. Guess that's me, dude. 
You're going to have to help me, Lydia. Go ahead and put it up there. Go astray. See, Jesus goes into a couple of illustrations. To be so serious in your life, cut that off. Cut it off and throw it away. It's better to end up in heaven with one hand than in hell with two. If it's your eye, gouge it out. Now, again, that's hyperbole. And then he gives us a parable, an illustration that says, you know what? There's a shepherd. He has a hundred sheep. And one goes astray. And the shepherd says, you know what? 99 out of 100, that's still an A. I'm good. Forget the sheep. No, right? He leaves the 99 to go rescue the one from falling off a cliff. See, if we think there's no possible way we can ever be led astray, that's an uncivil war attitude because... By golly, I can't be led astray. I'm just going to go do whatever I want. I will never be lost. I will never need to be found. So anybody that... It's just wrong. No conflict. This works anywhere. Comes up and says, I have this problem with my coach. Instead of mommy and daddy taking care of it, why don't... Next set of verses, Lydia. Matthew 18, 15. If another believer sins against you, you have won that person back. Two humble people come together and one says, hey, what's going to happen 100% of the time? This caused you to think that. I didn't know that was tempting you. I didn't of the time when two humble people approach each other this I've been confronted like this before. Take this morning's daughter, lovely, lovely, beautiful child. And I said, how was Florida? We went to Gulf Shores. <laughs> Paul, you have such an awesome child there. <laughs> now, seriously, when two humble people better, not worse. Stronger, not weak. The temptation is to go away. The temptation is to talk about them. The temptation is to do everything. If you come to them and say, essentially, they are instructed, every one of us, because I know this about this church. Nobody else was bummed and disheartened by something somebody said. Really? I, I didn't know that. But back to the compassionate conflict part. See, that's, that's the uncivil war attitude. Conflict with compassion. See, in Je- Jesus, his, his, his master communicator uh, 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 profile is that he set us up that we should have a millstone tied around our neck. But then what does he say? Not go to them and tie a millstone around their neck. He says, go to them and say, hey, this happened. Compassionate confrontation. 
See, witch hunts and inquisitions, that's tying a millstone around people's necks. Trying to find every little nitpicky fault, that's tying a millstone around people's necks. See, kind of what we've talked about previous in this series, there are offenses that we just need to swallow and move on. And then we forget about next time, by the time we come show up next Sunday, right? Yeah. We're talking about those that either they continue or they nag at you and you just can't get stones around people's necks. We confront them compassionately. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again. So that everything you may be, you got a lynch mob going on. No, it's not, this isn't what's going on. Followers of Jesus... We have signed up for a holy and and in an unbelieving world. When they look in, what do they set? The Old Testament, Daniel chapter nine in particular, it's in the Bible study guide. Um, a curse word. We have become a mockery to the nations. Everybody that doesn't believe in God, because we are not holy. The reality about a church is that everybody expects us to be holy, even those who don't believe in God. And then they look in and they go, what about this that's going on that really shouldn't be happening inside of a church? Even I can see that. For example, one of the most famous cases of, 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 of conflict resolution in the New Testament was from 1 Corinthians 5, and I put this in the, in the Bible study notes as well. There was some dude, that, as Paul wrote it out, was sleeping with his father's wife. In the church. Paul's like, unbelievers don't even go there, bro. It could have been a stepmom. A lot of people think it's the guy's stepmom that he was sleeping with. But it could be that Paul just physically could not go, stop sleeping with your mom. Stop sleeping with your Stop sleeping with your father's wife. Okay, I, at least I can say that. He's like, and he's bragging about it. And the church seems to be going, dude, well done. Paul's going, what are you doing? Not nitpicking at stuff here, right? Like, this isn't like little bitty, like looking at the church going, I'm not even doing that, bro. So this destroy your life if you keep going. You are going to destroy. This is restorative. This is healing. This is reigning over the edge and you're grabbing their shirt going, stop! Stop! Please stop! Before you destroy yourself. Your family, your work, your career, your whatever. Please stop. And then next verse. If that doesn't work, they still refuse to listen. Take your case to the church. Not the church service. Okay? This is the church service. This isn't the church. The church is the gathering of believers. It's supposed to be a private deal. Okay? This isn't... This isn't a, a, a witch hunt. This isn't an inquisition. This isn't a thing that we're trying to dehumanize people and tie a millstone around their neck and throw them into the sea. That's church discipline, not this. 
Take your case to the church, and if she won't listen, he or she won't listen, accept the church's decision. Treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector, and maybe, maybe we're like, yeah, that's right, Jesus. Hey, let's remember how Jesus treated pagans and tax collectors. He told one tax collector to follow him. He said about another tax collector, oh, salvation has come here today. He hung out with pagans and sinners and prostitutes and adulterers and all types of different people. Let's remember that Jesus treated pagans and corrupt tax collectors better. This isn't Tyre Mill, John chapter 8. A woman was caught, actually set up of adultery. She was drugged in front of Jesus, thrown in front of Jesus, probably naked or just a sh- the guy, right? No? And if you're really God, you wrote, says the stoner. What do you say? What do you do? He distracted him, right? And when they wouldn't go away, what did he say? Those of you without sin throw the first stone, right? Essentially saying, over my dead body you're going to stone her. Irony. They went away. He got down, looked her in the eyes and said, where where are they gone? They all left. Compassion. Then what did he say? Confrontation. Right? See, it's actually an uncivil war attitude. Unity, it's not, as I said last time I preached, you know. When people are willing to step into conflict and still love each other. In a world that is compassionate confrontation that you and somebody else Our church is not as full, but with life. There's something that's... And you're like, how long do I really do this? So glad you asked. Then Peter came up to him, Lord, how often shall I forgive someone who sins against... Seven's the perfect number. It's the perfect uh, number of completion. Done, Peter. Right? Now, infinity and beyond. We forgive to... Civil war attitude. Civil war attitude says, I have limited forgiveness. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice. It's an uncivil war attitude. But what... What if they just, they just keep doing it and they keep asking forgiveness? They just keep doing it. They just keep asking forgiveness. I'm sure every single one of us have something that we keep going to God and saying, oops, I did it again, God. I'm sorry. And we've made promises. And we've said we won't do it again. But we always come back in front of God and say, will you forgive me again? But then we want to look at our fellow human and say, you know what, seven times is quite enough, thank you. Jesus goes on to talk about a parable. One guy owed a million dollars to a dude. To a ruler. Ruler brought him in and said, pay me back right now. I can't. 
You're going to jail. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Come on, please. Compassion, 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 compassion. The guy goes, okay, fine. Strikes it from his books. The guy that was forgiven a million dollars was walking down the street to home, saw a guy that owed him a thousand dollars. Took him by the neck, put him up against the wall and said, pay me back now, you filthy animal. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Please forgive me, please forgive me. I'll get, I'll get it, I'll get it. To you. No man in a jail. He's just forgiven a million dollars. Some servants of the guy that owed or forgave the million dollars, what do they do? Then for the dude that was forgiven a million but wanted, Jesus ended with weeping and gnashing of teeth. But we don't expect to forgive somebody else to infinity and beyond. And we also can't forgive forgiveness as something it's not. 99% of the time, it's basic, right? There's some of those 1% of the time where physical, bodily harm is truly possible. Okay? Forgiveness and forgiveness of consequences are two different things. Okay? The best illustration that I was given, or I've heard, I think James Dobson or maybe Billy Graham or somebody, you cut off your arm, sin of bodily mutilation, right? God will forgive that sin, but is your arm going to grow back? Negative, right? <laughs> I'm sorry, God. Whoop, wow, that was cool. Poo, yeah, right? <laughs> like, let's keep doing that. That's a magic trick right there. It's not a forgiveness of consequences. We all know this. Forgiveness is forgiveness really of me wanting retaliation, me wanting revenge, me wanting to basically rub your face in the pee, you know, like we do our dogs, right? That's what forgiveness is. Now, it may look like the person that totally absolves the murderer, okay? But let's justice take their due course. You can forgive the case of infidelity. Those are two different things. It may look like And easy are two different things. We understand. Difficult. There are shades of gray. Relationship with prayer, relationship with his community. Let me also say this. Going back to where we, where we started a little bit. Learn from their sin. We can help. It doesn't matter what that sin is. But if you want to bow up and be prideful and say and do and etc., we can't help. That's the whole conflict resolution part. Since when to say you're a follower of Jesus, but in another instance, you've got a hard heart and you refuse. We can't. We will walk along. All of us know what it's like to turn from sin. person refuses to be humble, 
and turn from their sin and bring healing to the situation no matter what it looks like. We are here to heal. That's why Jesus died. Longer than normal, but this isn't difficult. This happened, oh, I'm sorry. Right? Be willing. Because the payoff, the payoff is that people look at and say, you're willing to go into conflict, willing to be that person. Not have that as a good idea, but that person. Let's pray. Stand and follow the Lord for forgiveness, bold enough to turn from our sin, bold enough that's bothered me. Allow us to be bold enough also to overlook the small stuff that must have humility. Allow us to walk this path in such a way that is a light to the nations. We thank you so much for what you're doing. It's your name we pray. Amen.